Good morning. Welcome to those of you who have come and those of you who are joining us virtually. Um, I'll start with a, uh, a few announcements. Let me tell you where we're going to be going in terms of um, message planning. We've been in the middle of a series on Lost in Translation where we've been looking at words that the meanings have changed over time. And so we've been looking at words and trying to figure out what they meant at that time, what they meant now, and how that affects us. We're going to do the same thing today. We're going to look at freedom, and we'll think about when Jesus talked about freedom, what he was thinking of. Let me tell you where we're going to go in two weeks. We're going to, we're going to do a series that we've done a while ago, The Search for Serenity. And we're familiar with the serenity prayer. And what we'll do, we'll look at the full version. And here's the full version by Reinhold Niebuhr. And we'll break it down week by week. It says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as he did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and the next. Amen. So we'll look at that serenity prayer. We'll break it down uh, phrase by phrase and look at it week by week. I'll be involved. Mark Lorison will be involved in some of it as well. But that's kind of what's going to come, not next week, but the week after. And next week and the week after, we have a, we're not going to be doing worship this morning, but that will be recontinuing next week and, and thereafter. This week, we're going to look at um, freedom. It's being the 4th of July. Freedom is a cornerstone of our country. As citizens in the United States, we have five basic freedoms protected by the First Amendment, the freedom of speech. The First Amendment says that people have the right to speak freely without government interference. We have the right to say and speak our thoughts and minds. We have freedom of the press. The First Amendment gives the press the right to publish news, information, and opinions, even if it's not in line with or what the government would like to hear, that there is the freedom to be able to say the things that the press wants to say, freedom of assembly. The First Amendment says that people have the right to protest with a permit, a permit and parade with a permit in a nonviolent manner the freedom of petition. The First Amendment also says that people have the right to appeal to government in favor of or against policies that affect them or that they feel strongly about. And finally, the freedom of religion. First Amendment prohibits government from establishing a religion and protects the right to practice or not practice any faith. So there's the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the freedom of assembly, the freedom of petition, and the freedom of religion. These are the cornerstones of our country, and freedom is also the cornerstone of our faith. When Jesus talked about why he came and the thing that he wanted to put in place, freedom was frequently his focus. Look at a couple of verses. Um, yeah, thanks, John. If we could have that, great. He quoted Jesus when he was in his hometown. He 
stood up once on the Sabbath, and what they would do when you were in the synagogue, they would have people that would volunteer to read. So he got up and he asked that the scroll of Isaiah be given to him, and they handed it to him. And this is the this is what Jesus quoted from Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So when Jesus talked about why he came, he came to give freedom to the captives. Freedom was something that was in the forefront when he was describing what it is he came to do. Freedom was one of those Freedom explained that he also said to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. What Jesus described is that if we make room in our minds for his teaching, like is, which is kind of what we're doing now, if we listen and make room in our minds for Jesus' thoughts, we might not be aware that these thoughts are changing us. But little by little, as we understand and recognize and learn what Jesus said, what he said is, what you know will start to set you free. You'll experience a freedom. I guess the question is, what kind of freedom is that? What type of freedom is spiritual freedom? Let's talk about that. In fact, we're going to look at two questions. We're going to talk about the what of freedom and the how of freedom. And we're thinking spiritual freedom now. Um, What did freedom mean to Jesus? And how can we experience freedom? Think about the what of freedom. Political freedom is what Israelis in Jesus' time wanted. And Jesus disappointed them. At that time, they had been under the dominion of one kingdom after another. It was Assyria, and then it was Babylon, and then it was Persia, and then it was Greece, and then it was Rome, one after another. And they were looking forward to the Messiah being somebody that would usher in the kind of political freedom they used to have when David was king and when Solomon was king, and that they were lords over a larger kingdom. That wasn't happening in when Jesus was around, and they were thinking that the Messiah was going to help to put them back on the map politically. The kind of freedom Jesus preached was not political freedom. It was um, the kind of freedom that comes from returning to the Father. It was really vertical freedom, not so much horizontal freedom. Now, this kind of freedom does have an impact, but it exists even when horizontal freedom doesn't exist. The kind of freedom Jesus talked about is a freedom that a slave could experience even though they had to serve a master. So they would not be free if you were a slave at that time. What do you want to do is never a question that you would ask of a slave because a slave didn't get to do what they wanted to do. They did what the master wanted them to do. And Jesus described that the freedom that he offers is a freedom that even a slave can experience, although they might not get to do what they wanted to do. Um, Jesus talked about, he said, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. 
So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. How many have ever sinned? Come on, put your hand up. So we've all sinned. And so what that means at some level, we are slaves to sin. And what Jesus comes to do is to set us free. And again, it doesn't mean that we'll never do wrong things. Sin is not just an act, it's a power. And what Jesus wants us to do is come out from serving the power of sin to serving God. And that's why Jesus came. And that's what Jesus would call freedom. It's when we are in a position to think about God the way Jesus thought about God. Jesus knew when Jesus was on the planet, he thought about God in a way that was absolutely unique. No one prior to his coming thought about God the way Jesus thought about God. Prior to that time, everyone, and it's most people on the planet, even now, think about God the way a slave thinks about a master. Jesus is the first one to populate the planet whose thinking about God was the way a son thinks about a father. That was Jesus' relationship with the Father. Freedom was the result of this thinking. So if you want to know what freedom is, freedom is spiritually. When our thinking about God becomes more the thinking of a son to a father than a slave to a master. And that's what Jesus is thinking. Freedom is a change in the way we think about God. It talks about in Ephesians that we can be renewed in the spirit of our mind. I want you to know in our minds, there is a spirit of our minds. The spirit of the mind is that place in our thinking that we think about God. And the way we think about God either allows us to be free or not. Jesus thinking about God allowed him to experience freedom. Now, here's what Jesus wants. He wants you and me to hear his words and hear his thoughts about God. For those thoughts to become so much in our heads that we start to think about God the way Jesus thought about God. And if we think about God the way Jesus thought about God, it will start to set us free. That's where freedom comes from. Freedom comes from thinking about God the way Jesus did. Now, that freedom is not going to come quickly or easily. I was talking to Raleigh Hansen earlier and commenting on uh, the, the sacrifice that individuals like himself in defending our country bring us to a place of freedom. It wasn't easy, Raleigh, was it? And it didn't happen quickly. Freedom is not quick. It is a process that is both true politically and spiritually. Count no time wasted thinking about God the way you're doing right now. You're listening to things. And these things sometimes might be interesting and sometimes not. But as we continue to come back and continue to think, even when you're not aware of it, your thinking about God is going to change slowly. And what you'll find, 
the way your thinking changes will allow you to be more free. And we'll talk a little bit about what that's like. Um, the way to freedom is to think about God the way Jesus does. In the Bible, that it has the description, so we would think, most people would think, how many, how many of you would tell yourself, I'm free? Yeah, we live in a free country. We, we live in a democracy. We have the freedom of speech, press, assembly, petition, and religion. You know what the New Testament would say? That freedom is not the default setting. Slavery is. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Um, and the Bible would indicate that to the degree, because we serve sin, it, we don't have the freedom to do what we would want to do. What it says, um, it says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. Um, what Jesus came to do is everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So that means everyone on the planet is mastered by sin. Would you agree? Now, what can happen, and again, doesn't mean that everybody looks the same, but we who are slaves to sin can become slaves to righteousness. We can be set free, and that's the type of freedom Jesus came to give us, and we'll talk about how we experience that in just a second. Freedom, however, doesn't mean that we do what we want. Again, what it says biblically, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. You know what biblical freedom looks like? It's hard-earned freedom that gives us the ability to love other people rather than have them do what we want them to do. We develop the ability to do what would help them, and that's what spiritual freedom looks like. It's a change in thinking about God that slowly, gradually allows us to love others and ourselves and do things that benefit ourselves and others rather than harm ourselves and others. That's what freedom looks like spiritually. It's somebody who has learned to think about God in such a way as they start to be able to express it more in loving actions for themselves and others. So that's what freedom looks like. Change in thinking that leads to a change in acting. Now, does the change start with acting? No, it doesn't start with acting. It starts with thinking. Thinking about God accurately. As your thinking changes over time, you will find your actions beginning to change, and it will surprise you because you won't be forcing it. It's thinking affects doing. Let's talk about the how of freedom. How do we experience freedom? He says, Jesus said a couple of things. Now, excuse me, Paul says a couple of things. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that kind of gives us aware if Spirit, Holy Spirit influence is in place, those individuals that 
experience the Spirit will experience freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It is the job then of the Holy Spirit to influence you and me in such a way that we experience freedom. How do you know then if you are being influenced by God's Holy Spirit? Some people think, I know I'm being influenced by God's Spirit if I'm singing a worship song and I really get caught up in it. Okay, and some people think, well, I know I'm experiencing the Spirit if I do something wrong and he says, don't do that. People have different thoughts about what spirit influence looks like. Let me tell you what it seems to indicate here. If you're in a place where you're thinking about God is changing, and because you're thinking about God is changing, your ability to be free to love each other, that's spirit influence. The spirit is going to influence how you think about God in order to influence how you act towards others. Um, Look what it says. The fruit of the spirit is Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know what freedom looks like? The ability to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-control. You want to know what freedom looks like? That's what freedom looks like. That's what the Spirit produces, and he produces it by changing the way we think so that we end up expressing this in being loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. That, and it says, against such things, there is no law. That's kind of a weird statement. Actually, it comes from a quote from Aristotle, in now again, you're not going to remember Aristotle, but it's but this is maybe what Paul was thinking when he wrote it, because Aristotle said almost exactly the same words. He indicated against such people there is no law. Now here's what Aristotle was thinking about. He was thinking about people who, being led by virtue, were above the law in the sense that they were doing things that the law could not constrain them to do. In the early church, the early church believed that the way you treated another person was an expression of treating Christ. And so what happened in the Roman Empire, in the times of the early church, in the 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries, There were terrible plagues, awful plagues, killing thousands of people every day. What happened is the church initially, where the doctors were indicating, the Roman doctors said, there's nothing you can do. This is a plague. And so what they were encouraging people to do is if there's a plague infested area, move, get out of there. That's the only solution that they had. And what was happening with the church is they were, in some cases, moving into these plague-ridden areas in order to give support and comfort. And that's what the government saw the church doing. And the people would express 
Look how they love one another. You know, love biblically is not an emotion. You can't love people that you're enemies with in the sense of emotionally loving them. But if there's somebody you have a hard time with and they get into a place where they might be in danger or they might have an accident, love means that even if you don't feel loving, that you do for them the thing that you would like for them to do for you. That's what love is. It's Love biblically, it's more a verb than a noun. It's not something you fall into and fall out of. It's when you seek to help other people. That's what it means. Um, so these Christians then, this is the way they were acting. Now the government, there was an emperor named Flavian. Uh, emperor or he was right underneath the level of the emperor. He saw these individuals and he said, you know what, we've got to get our people to do the same thing because, you know, these people, these Christians are staying in these infested, plague infested areas and they're helping. And it's very impressive. And so he legislated and he tried to mandate this kind of law or initiative to get people in the Roman Empire to do it. And guess what? Didn't work. You can't legislate love. You can't. You can't hold punishment over somebody's head and get them to love and call it love. Love has to be freely given. A change in thinking that leads to a change in acting. Um, when these qualities are evident, we are in a sphere with which law has nothing to do. That's what it says. Love, joy, peace, patience. Against such things there is no law. You cannot legislate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. Not as deeply and widely as God would have us love. We love those who are comfortable loving. Jesus would have us love those that were uncomfortable loving. Again, that doesn't mean emotion. It means helping, providing tending to, caring for. Um, it seems to indicate, though, that you can't legislate what the Spirit produces. You can't legislate love. Uh, these virtues are not the byproducts of human influence. They're the byproducts of divine influence. There's a verse, and in your worship folder, there's a, there's a sheet. I'm not, I don't have a slide for it. I want you to look at it, though. Look what it says in that verse, Romans 6. 16 through 18. I want to point out some things and, and then make some final comments and we'll be done. Um, what it says in Romans 6, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you, whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Let me tell you where this comes from. He just asked a question. And Paul writes that you're under grace and not under law. So sin is not going to be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. And what Paul's saying is that when you put a condition on God's behalf on people saying, God's going to love you if you obey and he's going to curse you if you disobey. Now, that's the way the Old Covenant states things. And what Paul is saying, when that's your thinking, you are under law, not under grace. And under law, here's what it says. And again, it's kind of, it seems a little bit confusing, 
under law, sin is our master. Now, that doesn't mean that we only do sinful things, but under law, when my thinking is God's going to bless me if I obey and curse me if I disobey, that's not a relationship of a son to a father, is it? Is it? It's a relationship of a slave to a master. You know what the deal is? God is not your master. He's your father. That's what God wants to replicate. That's what Jesus came to teach us. Because as we start to relate to God, as a daughter or a son relates to a father, it's going to change our thinking and change our action. And it indicates here that, and that, so the question was, so should we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? And Paul was saying, you're forgiven. And then people are saying, oh, great. If I'm forgiven, I'm just going to go out and do a bunch of lousy things, right? If I'm under grace, I'm just going to go misbehave and I'll take advantage of people. And, and so what Paul is doing, he's answering the question. This, this is what he says. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. What he was saying is, who do you want to serve? You can hate people and then you serve sin, but Serving sin, that's not a real good thing. Sin is a power here. And what Jesus came to do is to act in such a way that our thinking could allow us to move from serving sin to, to moving to serve God. But look what he says. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I want you to look at this verse. It talks about how you can go from being a slave to sin. And it says you go from being a slave to sin to a, to you, it's wholeheartedly obeying the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. So I guess here's the deal. We can be slaves to sin. And if we want to change, we wholeheartedly tune into the form of teaching that Paul talks about in his letters. As we listen and understand the things the Bible says, especially the New Testament, Jesus' words and Paul's words, as his way of thinking gets into our thoughts, we start to obey that, tune into that form of teaching Tuning into that form of teaching changes us. So what am I saying? We, we talk about these things all the time. Keep coming back. Week by week by week by week. I'll be here, and anybody who's here is going to talk about what the Bible says. Some might be more interesting than others. Some might not be interesting at all. <laughs> and that might happen too. But little by little, it's not about, well, that made me feel wonderful. It's not about the feelings necessarily. You know what it's about? Changing our thinking. Because as our thinking becomes more in line with how God actually is, we'll start to think more like children relate to a father, and that's going to change our lives. Um, that's, that's how it occurs. So little by little, change happens little by little by little. 
If you're frustrated that you're not who you want to be, let's keep walking together. Let's keep learning together, little by little, and it'll change us. There is a book, and I'm, I'm going to be done. Um, it was written by Cal Thomas and Ed Hinson. They were involved with the moral majority in the 70s. The moral majority was a political action group in the 70s that wanted to further a conservative religious agenda. They really were interested in allowing prayer to occur in schools. That was a big initiative in the 70s, and they wanted to cause there to be strict laws against abortion. And what Cal Thomas and Ed Hinson did, they wrote a book about their experience trying to use government to create religious reform. And what they ended up writing a book called Blinded by Might. They referenced a, the writings of a Catholic priest, Henri Nguyen. And Henri Nguyen, he ended up, uh, he wrote a, a little book, The Name of Jesus, Reflections on Christian Leadership. And in the book, Blinded by Might, they, they distinguished between the initiatives of trying to use government to get people to obey. That doesn't make sense, does it? You can't legislate love like that. It doesn't mean don't enact laws, but don't, don't rely on the enacting of laws to create virtue. Because virtue is something that law doesn't deal with. You can't mandate virtue. You can't. That's what Aristotle said and what Paul says as well. Um, but he talks about Henri Nguyen. Um, he, he talks about, in, in the book, they, they reference about the third te temptation of Jesus. And they talked about it as being the most subtle and the most dangerous. And he says it speaks clearly to those of us who want to use politics to usher in his kingdom. Um, and this Henri Nguyen, here's what he says. He talks about those familiar with the story recall that Satan led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. The temptation, of course, was rejected, but he writes, today some are giving into it. In the early days of the moral majority, we were taken up to the mountain and we saw how we could finally win the battle for Jesus' sake. Unfortunately, the voice we were listening to was not that of Jesus. Many who claim to speak for Jesus and seek earthly power to help him usher in his kingdom forget that he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Nuon writes, the temptation to consider power an apt instrument for the proclamation of the gospel is the highest temptation of all. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? The temptation to use power to force the gospel is the highest temptation of all. Finally, they say what is, and we'll close with this, one of what they think is a very important quote from him. 
What, make, what makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? Maybe it is that power offers an easy substitute for the hard work of love. Mm. Mm. It seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than love people. Easier to own life than love life. Freedom is being able to do the hard work of love little by little, little by little. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, I want to thank you for the freedoms that we experience in this country and those who fought for them. And we celebrate those victories and, we, and we're privileged to be able to live in this country. And yet we have Jesus identifying that there are some things that political freedom cannot engender. It, it can't release us from being slaves to the power of sin. It doesn't mean that we just do sinful acts, but it, we have to think differently about you in order to be free spiritually. And we think about you, and, and would you help us to, little by little, and it's what, what's happening today, just little by little, to hear things about what you think and what you want and what you want us to think about, and little by little that our thinking changes. And as our thinking changes, little by little, we find ourselves with a slowly growing capacity to be able to do the hard work of love rather than rely on the hammer of power. And Jesus, you're the one who led the way. Would you continue to teach us about this in Jesus' name? Amen.